0: Small towns, just like the one I grew up in, hold some dark and mysterious secrets. Whether it be stories that locals just don't want to talk about because it makes everybody uncomfortable, or they're trying to cover up something dark and hideous, there is a never-ending supply of these stories all around the country and even the world. Welcome back to The Swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true small town horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. If you have a story you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at SwampDweller.net or on Reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Today's episode is sponsored by my good friends over at HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit and the number one meal kit we use here in the swamp. Remember those New Year's goals you promised yourself you'd stick to? Well, HelloFresh is here to help you eat better by delivering fresh ingredients and easy recipes to your door every single week. Take the hassle out of dinner time. HelloFresh now has over 40 weekly recipes to choose from. So you can say bye bye to your recipe rut and treat yourself and your family to exciting new flavors every single week. You can even customize select meals by swapping proteins or sides or even adding protein to a veggie dish. And now you can even upgrade for organic chicken and organic ground beef. You'll only find quality ingredients in HelloFresh's recipes. In fact, ingredients travel from the farm straight to your home in less than 7 days so you know they're fresh every single time. So, what are you waiting for? Join me and hundreds of others in the swamp today. Go to HelloFresh.com Swamped65 And use code SWAMPED65 for 65% off plus free shipping. Once again, that's HelloFresh.com slash SWAMPED65 and use code SWAMPED65 for 65% off plus free shipping. Small Town Canadian Mystery by Kiana I went to visit my auntie and uncle in Canada. They live in a small town that used to be a forest, so everywhere in the city there are lots of deer, coyotes, and sometimes wolves. During the day, you would see deer around, and I remember feeding them apples in my uncle's front yard one time. I have some photos. At night, it was when the wolves and coyotes would come out. Nobody walks around at night, and they would warn 13-year-old me about this. But of course, being the naive teen I was, I didn't listen. I thought if I saw a coyote, I can scare it away. A wolf won't be easy, but whatever. I went outside sometime around 2.30am. I saw lots of deer still outside. No coyotes, no wolves, nothing like that. So I put on my headphones since I didn't see anything worth being worried about. As I started walking, I realized I was near the forest surrounding the town. I took off my headphones and looked around for some time, but I didn't see any animals and there were no noises or anything to worry about again. All I could hear was myself breathing. I kept my headphones off and decided to turn around because of how creeped out I was. As I began walking back toward the house, I saw a deer in somebody's yard. Now, honestly, I know what most of you are thinking. There's nothing to think of, it's just a deer. So, initially, I didn't think anything of it. But it was looking in their window and pushing on the screen as if it were intently trying to check something out. I stepped on some crunchy leaves and suddenly it snapped its head at me so fast that I could hear its neck crack slightly. I realized the deer was more significant than just a deer, but then it came out from the shadows. It was walking on its hind legs. I was frozen in place absolutely in fear like I was in a trance, and it was strolling towards me. The owner of the house came out with a gun and pointed it at the deer, but he didn't shoot. Finally, he just said, I will shoot if you don't leave. To my surprise, the deer didn't even look at the man. It just turned away from me and walked back into the forest. The owner said, "'You best run home before it comes back.' He went inside his house and locked his door. I immediately started running towards my uncle's house like I was a bat out of hell. I felt like I was being watched intently. I looked into the forest and saw two bright dots in the shadows, which looked like eyes. I ran faster than I ever have in my life. I looked back one more time, but I didn't see a thing. A coyote was outside my window that night, and I had to scare it away to sneak back in. I locked my window and shut the blinds and got in bed. But all I could do was lay awake, replaying what I had just seen, over and over. I've only told a few close friends about this, but I should share it with other people, just so they know that there are some weird things happening out there. I live in a ghost town. By Autumn W. I currently live in a little town out west. Well, I say town but it's not exactly what you picture. Though, it's more of like a ghost town than anything. There are only four people that live here in total. The only open businesses are the post office, the library, a singular, privately owned pharmacy, and a gas station. There is also an old hotel on the outskirts of town called Bella Muerte. I've worked there for the better part of a century, ever since I was 21 years old. Unlike most kids my age who jumped straight out of high school and into college, I unfortunately had other plans, or should I say, programs just didn't like me. I lived the town over from the previously mentioned one, a city that had far more people and businesses. I worked from place to place for a couple of years, but nothing substantial, just stuff to pay the bills. One day I came home from work, picked up my mail, and headed inside my house. As I brewed a fresh pot of coffee, I absent-mindedly flipped through the mail. Bills and junk mail were all I ever seemed to get, but then I hit the second last piece of mail, and it felt, um, well, odd. It's hard to describe, but the letter was ornate. It had a thick texture, made from what I can only imagine was some pretty expensive paper. In the most beautiful, flowing script was printed my full name, clear as day, It had no return address, and it didn't have my address, just my name. The fact that someone knew me intimately enough to hand deliver a letter to me without me knowing was strange. Admittedly, I had very few friends because I grew up an army brat and moved around a lot. I only had a handful of people that knew me well enough to know where I even lived. Out of sheer curiosity, I proceeded to open the letter. On the finest parchment paper on the most delicate letterhead read the following words. Dear Miss Autumn, I am writing to offer you the most prestigious position at our establishment, the Hotel Bella Muerte. For over 200 years, our establishment has been a heaven for the weary and restless, the old, the young, and the forgotten, and men and women and animals alike. However, recently we have had an ongoing issue with looking for a new caretaker and would like to offer the position to you. The letter said that along with the position, a hotel room or small apartment as you will would come with the job and a salary four times what I was currently making a year. The hotel's name seemed familiar yet everything about the letter and position seemed to be way too good to be true, like a scam of some sorts. That's when I noticed at the bottom of the job offer was the address. That, my friends, was when my interest was truly piqued. It was only one town over. That's when it clicked in my brain. The Hotel Bella Muerte. Ever since I could remember, there have been rumors and stories about the Hotel Bella Muerte. Strange tales that seemed to be odd, way too scary to be true, tales of ghosts, strange travelers, and much more. We sure heard the rumors, but few people I knew actually believed in them. The kids in the town I lived in would say that if you set foot in the hotel, you would be driven to madness and go loco, as they would say. The tales were just so bizarre. How could we believe them? So after a few days of deliberating, I wrote back accepting the job opportunity. A few days later, I got a letter to congratulate me and set the start date. I was to start the following Monday around noon. As I got ready that following Monday, I put on my best clothing, did my makeup and hair. You know, the girly things. Tripped over thin air as I went to the kitchen to get my coffee to go. Then I got in my 1965 red convertible Mustang and made the short drive. On the way into town, I passed by, well, nothing. The land is entirely barren outside the city I grew up in, except for the tumbleweeds, brush, and bracken that look too perfect to start a brush fire if you ask me, and the few twisted, gnarled elder trees that once stood tall perhaps, but now are nothing more than sorry shadows of what they used to be. I think typical western movie scenes when I drive out here. The town that held the hotel looked much more similar, with run-down buildings that barely could be considered standing. The further into this ghost town you got, the more exact things became. The gas station was the first thing that looked like it held any living beings. The pharmacy was next, the library, and then the post office. They were all about equal in size and looked just about as run-down as any other building, with peeling paint that fell in ribbons to the ground when the wind was strong and acting up and suddenly I saw it for the first time. The Hotel Bella Muerte, live and in person, and it did not even compare to what I had in mind. When I pictured it, I thought of a run-down building, filled with cockroaches and rats, with only the lowest kind of people staying there. The kind of place where the police did stakeouts to bust drug dealers and hookers. What other kind of place could be in a run-down town like this? But it was so, so wrong. The sight that greeted me as I pulled up to the parking lot of that place was one I could barely even believe. The hotel was, in a word, magnificent. It looked like it belonged to a fancy city, not a barren wasteland. The outside of the hotel fit the town and the period of the 1800s with a high-rise balcony and white pillars that stood tall and straight. The brickwork was perfectly inlaid, faded red due to the wear and tear of time, yet still hardy in structure. It looked only a little better in its heyday, if nothing else, than its newness. Whoever owned the building took great care of it, whether in restoration or simple upkeep, it was something to see for sure. As I got out of my car and walked up the front steps admiring all the intricate woodwork that went into its structure, I looked above the front door and read the sign. The Hotel Bella Muerte established 1802. I turned the knob of the old door, no gates or groans, just silence as the door pivoted on its hinges and walked inside. Now, as impressed as I was with the outside of the place, it didn't even compare to what was before my eyes. As you entered the lobby, the first thing that would come to your attention was the grand staircase made of beautiful mahogany wood, rich in cherry brown undertones, swooping as it dipped from its height down to the floor. Then to the left, I became aware of the lobby desk. It was the same type of wood as the staircase, with intricate designs that swirled down its length, carved out by some long-dead carpenter. Behind the desk were the letter boxes, with the numbers carefully and expertly placed into their centers, numbering 1 to 15. The parlor was to the right, and it looked as though it was frozen in time like the rest of the place. With old furniture with floor designs and high backs to the wallpaper that looked much of the same, it was stupendous. After I had gotten done admiring the lobby, I slowly walked over to the desk. No one was there. Not a single soul. I rang the bell on the counter, yet no one came, and after a few more minutes of waiting, I called out, Hello? And still no one came. I wondered what I should do next. In our correspondence, I never got a phone number despite noticing an old rotary phone on the desk near the letterboxes. Then I realized I never got the name of the person I was corresponding with either. I was still determining who the employer actually was. As I grappled with this realization, the phone began to ring, breaking the silence. I almost jumped out of my skin, scared absolutely out of my mind by the loud ringing in the otherwise quiet room. Then, after no one magically appeared to answer it, it fell silent after the fourth ring, only to begin ringing once more. After regaining my composure, I walked around the desk to the back, looking around as I did so and feeling as if I were a child about to be caught with my hand in the cookie jar, and I picked up the phone. The whole conversation weirded me out. It seemed so insensitive, yet rushed despite the cheery nature of their voices and reactions, and the weird pet names, of course. I looked at the table next to the phone. As the sisters had said, there was a letter. I opened the letter quickly with the ornate silver letter opener conveniently placed in the first drawer I looked through. Out from the envelope popped a long and I mean two-foot letter made of the same parchment paper as my offer letter. As I started to read I became increasingly more confused and worried. What had I gotten myself into? The letter usually started enough it outlined the general duties of the job. How to receive payment, $50 per night stunningly low. I thought for such a place as this, but I'd never been in the hotel business, and I wouldn't know otherwise. Housekeeping, even down to the way they wanted the toilet paper change, was all written down. Oddly enough, they wanted us to put the toilet paper in the wrong way, going under the roll, but who am I to judge? Last but not least, a long set of rules was written that honestly made no sense. Written in bold red print was this following set of rules. Rule number 126. Always lock the doors at night, you don't want to let them in. Rule number 127, make sure you feed Jesus every night or else. Rule 128, only take the trash out during daylight hours. Rule 129, make sure you face the dolls in the doll room facing the wall at night. Rule number 130, don't ever take candy from the pharmacist. Rule number 131, never return a book late to the librarian. Rule number 132, always lick the stamps in the presence of the postman, and rule number 133, never leave the town under any circumstances, or you'll regret it. And that was that. Not threatening at all, or bizarre, or extremely specific. Just a standard set of rules that made the place seem a little more, uh, undesirable. Now I thought I had gotten myself into something... not good. And yet, I was absolutely thoroughly intrigued. I mean, what happens if I leave the town? Why did I have to lock the doors at night, and who was them? Why did I have to take the trash out during the day, and who the hell was Jesus? Nothing made sense. Since I was going to be here a while, I decided to settle in. I looked at the letter again, and at the end was my room number and key in the envelope. Room number 16. There was one extra room in the hotel. After I got the key, I put the letter back in its place and walked up the stairs to explore my new home. The doors on the second floor spanned three hallways and a dining room attached to a kitchen. Each room numbered 1 through 16 alternated from the left side of the hallway to the adjacent side of the room and then right back again. The walls almost felt like they were breathing, expanding and contracting no matter where you stood, giving you this dizzying effect. It reminded me of one thing, that movie The Shining. (laughs) And No thank you. As I walked the halls, reaching the dining room, I passed by and I could have sworn I saw a dark shadow pass by the half-open door, but when I looked inside, there was absolutely nothing there. There were only tables and chairs and waiting tables lining the area. Strange, I thought, but I just shrugged it off and continued down the hall. Numbers 13, 14, and 15, and finally room 16. As I jiggled the old skeleton key in its lock, there appeared to be a slight mumbling coming from the other side of the door. I promptly stopped and listened, but there was nothing but a solitary sound, so I proceeded to open the door once it was unlocked. My room, like the rest of the place, was absolutely lovely, but it was empty. Nothing to explain that strange mumbling sound. The queen-sized bed with ornate canopy, all white billowing in the soft breeze from the open window, stood in the left-hand side of the room towards the middle of the length of the wall. The small sitting area was to the right with a wardrobe, a small couch, and two high-backed chairs of the same make as those in the sitting room downstairs, the same floral patterns and everything. The open balcony windows were straight ahead. As I walked to them I became all too aware of the mumbling again. I spun around quickly to see a bird's perch at the edge of the cage corner- I spun around quickly to see a bird's perch and a cage in the corner of the right side of the room. When I say bird, I don't mean a parrot or a cockatoo or even a parakeet or finch. What I saw sitting there was a massive raven. It was just talking. Just strange phrases and random words, but human words nonetheless. I began to approach the bird, and it let out a loud squawk, flapped its wings, and flew straight into my face, blinding me for a second. For visual's sake, it's fair to mention that I really don't like birds. Yes, they are or can be pretty. But they have beautiful songs and all that good stuff but honestly it's just not my thing and i'm sure they're great companions for some people but i however am not one of those people and don't particularly appreciate them or their little or in this case enormous flappy wings that come flying into my face so i screamed out loud which only made the screech louder with its horrible croaky voice then as soon as it had hit me it flew away i took my arms down for a moment knowing it was gone which had been trying to shield my face, and began to look around the room. Not a bird in sight. Had I just dreamed it, or was I just starting to go loco already? I have heard many, many rumors about Hotel Bella Muerte. After calming down a bit, I began to shrug off the fear and replaced it with determination to settle in and set up the room with my things. Once I finished, I heard a strange sound when I put the last pair of pants in the wardrobe. A little dinging sound. That's when I realized I was listening to the bell downstairs. Someone was in the lobby and it was time for me to begin my job. And with that I will end my initial story and I will send in a part two very soon. Don't you worry, Swamp Dweller. Night's Landing I'm afraid of that place. I haven't been back in a long, long time. I'm scared to go there. Somewhere in Northern California, an hour from the coast in a dry valley, there's a place. This place was my second home. I spent almost every weekend there for many years until I was a teenager. A property in the outskirts of a boring small town near a creek in a well-sized patch of woods. We did a lot of things there, and we had room and confidence. A creaky old house dimly lit, covered by trees, and a small garden to the side. The light only went so far from the windows and porch before it was total darkness, and a short walk to the other two buildings, old, long, empty garages filled with tables and chairs for parties, probably about 50 feet long, 10 feet wide, side by side, and although they said no further than 20 feet from each other, they both had very different atmospheres. One was a beacon of light in the darkness, rather a checkpoint, before it was total darkness, They were bustling with life from family gatherings and parties, but never the second. Only 20 feet away, it was always too dark even to see. And on the other side of that, well, that's the scariest part of that place. The four mysterious homemade concrete graves. Right next to this building and beyond that debris, giant rocks and tons of firewood picture almost a scrapyard with zero light. The building was scary but at least it was closer to the light. I have plenty of stories from here, ghosts and intruders and otherworldly and notworldly things. But this time, I'm going to concentrate on beyond those property lines, beyond the empty field adjacent to the old building, Cache Creek. Back then, the rules were don't go into that building at night, but we always did. They told us not to stray past the graves at night, but we always did. They told us not to go to the scrapyard, but yet we always did. But what we would not do is go past that field. It was almost an unspoken rule. No one ever brought it up. No one ever suggested attempting to make the trip. And we were reckless as kids, but not suicidal. We remember when we would sleep over when we were younger. My grandma would put us in the house before 12. That creaky old house. Too many for one-story, three-bedroom house. You could see the end of it from where you enter. A straight shot. Living room, dining room, kitchen. All the rooms to the left. Room one by the front door, room two by the end of the living room, and room three by the dining room and the bathroom in the kitchen, and then out the back door. We all funneled into the living room while the adults slept in the rooms. We slept on the floor, and we'd stay up longer than them, but not for long we'd get too scared. I'd remember no one talking about these things, just a look on everyone's face. Then everyone lays down and pretends nothing happened. These types of occurrences were daily at this place. But there is something that I will never forget more than anything. One night, while everybody was asleep except for us kids, it was maybe 30 minutes after everybody went to sleep, and the house was all quiet except for us whispering away and talking. Honestly, When I started hearing the noises at first, I thought they were maybe just insects or maybe a cat or something, but then we started hearing distant screams far off. A chill ran down my spine instantly. Suddenly it sounds like something slams into the front door and starts scratching at the walls, the door, and the sides of the house. Everywhere, it sounds like something is running around the house. The scratches, like I said, started at the front door, and then suddenly they were at the back door. Then the right, and all at once. Sometimes it just sounded like one finger, and other times it sounded like a full claw. We were all scared out of our wits. The scratching then stopped, and for a moment everything went silent before we heard a massive thud on the top of the roof. I felt fragile under it. I felt like at any moment that the roof would cave in on top of us, and we would be this thing's meal, whatever it was. Eventually, the adults woke up and went to see what was going on, asking if we were horsing around. Once they saw how scared we were, they walked outside. The wind seemed to calm, and everything seemed to drift off into silence. I survived that night somehow, and so did all of us. The next day, when I asked the adults what they saw, they wouldn't tell me. They wouldn't tell me if it was wolves, big coyotes, nothing. No response at all. All I knew is I heard something that night. I was young maybe five or six at the time, and now I'm 22, and I can tell you for a fact that my reckless curiosity still gets the best of me sometimes, but I know one thing is there was something out there that night. I can't explain what it was. How's it going, Swamp Dweller? I hope all is well with you and those in the swamp. I've been listening to your channel for quite some time now, on the way to work and on long trips. I've wanted to submit my story for a while now and just haven't found the time to write it up. I currently live and work in Texas, but I'm originally from a small town in middle Georgia, where this story takes place. I can't give too many specifics about the area since there are some significant archaeological finds, and the landowner doesn't want trespassers to mess with them. He also doesn't want anyone from the government showing up on his front porch and trying to take it. Anyways, I lived a good way outside of the city limits, nothing but dirt roads and trees as far as you wanted to drive. A couple of neighbors here and there, but they were few and very far between. Every summer when the mullet would run up the rivers from the ocean to spawn, we would spend as much time as possible on a particular sandbar on that river. One of the dirt roads ended where a logging trail started, which also happened to be right by my aunt and uncle's house on the left side of the road and one of my cousins on the right. The trail led from the road, snaked through planted pines and hardwoods, and eventually found its way to the sandbar on the river. My uncle and cousin were good friends with the man that owned that land between the house and the river, which I learned was about 500 or more acres. And when they invited my dad down there, he realized it was a man he had worked with. They didn't know each other very well, but they knew each other well enough that the man told my dad he could come down here whenever he wanted. So, whenever he was off work in those summer months, he was down there, with a salt block and a mesh bag full of chicken, stabbed into the ground with metal poles in the middle of the river, to bait up the mullet. After baiting them the night before, he'd buy the worms and beer, find him a piece of river cane, or buy a cane pole if he was feeling a little lazy, and get everything ready to leave at the crack of dawn the next day, and almost every time my mom, my little brother, and I were with him. We were familiar with a good portion of the trails because when we weren't fishing, we would spend all night riding four-wheelers and taking hikes on the logging trails down there, hitting every mud hole in sight, pushing one-inch thick sheets of ice out of the watering holes in the winter, just seeing how much we could do before our toys broke. Sometimes we'd have as many as ten or fifteen or so four-wheelers, and we'd all stop at this shack on the river and build a bonfire. My brother and I were around 13 to 17 years old as this went on for a couple of years before and after my encounter. My dad never explicitly gave us a beer, but we knew if we snuck a few when he was not looking, he'd assume he drank them. But I'm just rambling about the good old days. Anyway, I'd often wander off through the woods when my dad was fishing because, at the time, I hadn't gotten into fishing myself yet. I will tell you this is in the Oconee River. There used to be Native Americans who lived on the river. There's pottery and arrowheads galore. I would visit the rock houses where they lived. There's even a fishing trap they built still in the river. It's in a part of the river that winds through the land. These are the reasons we don't want people there. I'd walk these trails barefooted and shirtless all day long like the kid I was, and still am at heart. And with no cell phone, just a bowie knife for protection and a couple of water bottles, I'd disappear early in the morning and come back about 4 or 5 in the evening because I knew my dad would barely eat all day if the fish were biting good and he'd be ready to eat supper. My parents never worried because they knew I belonged in nature more than I did in the real world anyway. I was around 15 at the time of this encounter. The day started like always i got to the sandbar and helped unload another salt block and some more chicken feed to keep it from running out during the day i was swimming with my brother for a little while and then i put my jeans back on and disappeared picture something like huck finn with my cheap straw hat and blue jeans rolled up like i was expecting a flood the likes of which haven't been seen since noah built the ark on this day i had a fresh pouch of red Chew golden blend to be exact that i had gotten a friend's dad to buy for me and i was loving life i packed a fat shoe and set out on my search for more pottery and arrowheads as i got closer from the sandbar and deeper into the woods i noticed pebbles flying through the trees and landing near my feet occasionally one would bounce off my back or whiz past my ears i thought it might have been my brother sneaking around and messing with me But after dealing with this for over two miles, I was coming to a point in the trail where usually I could turn around on the four-wheeler and go back home. But ahead of me was a dried-up creek bed about three feet deep, which is why we would turn the four-wheelers around. I saw it just as I was about to turn around and walk somewhere else. About ten feet ahead of me, right in the middle of the trail, was the perfect arrowhead. It was the best one I had ever seen. I guessed spearhead would be more proper for it. It was about three inches long and an inch or so wide. When I picked it up, I noticed that it was completely intact. No broken point or anything. And it was like a solid deep purple color. I bent down to pick it up and examine it for a minute. And excited would be an understatement. But as I looked up, I noticed something else. Behind a tall, healthy pine tree about 30 feet in front of where I was now standing was a massive arm, and peeking around the trunk of the tree was a face. I didn't get time to make much sense before I saw this thing move behind the tree and try to hide there in all its glory. It just stood there, arms by its side facing me, never once making a threatening move towards me. It was at least seven or maybe even eight feet tall and covered in matted, rust-colored hair or fur. From what I could tell, it had a very muscular physique. The face resembled that of a man but was more ancient, leathery, and wrinkled by the hands of time. But the eyes stood out to me just as much as the non-threatening posture. They weren't some abysmal black pits, they were glowing red orbs of anger and hatred. They were like our eyes, although I can't describe the color. It was like the sun hit them and reflected a goldish-green color. The look in its eyes seemed very intelligent. I feel like it was studying me as much as I was it. It almost seemed to question what I was and what I was doing in its home. And why did I not mess myself and take off running? I can't tell you. There was also no eerie silence at any point, no putrid smell. The birds were still chirping, the chorus of frogs and crickets never skipped a beat, and I smelled the delightful scent of the wind, honeysuckles growing wild and free nearby. It was almost as if this thing were a spirit, but I can tell you it was accurate as any person you've ever stood before you in your life. We studied each other for what felt like an eternity, but was no more than ten seconds. Then, without taking my eyes off this creature, I crouched down and placed the spearhead exactly where I had picked it up from, and almost as if I had read this thing's mind, it sort of nodded, turned around, and walked back into the dense forest. It never faded out of existence as a spirit might, I watched it disappear as it effortlessly walked through the vines and blackberry patches, and even after I couldn't see it anymore, I could hear it moving, branches crunching out of its way. After I no longer heard it, I turned around and walked straight back to the sandbar just in time to get in the truck and go home. I didn't say a word to anybody about it for quite some time. Then one night, as we were on one of our four-wheeler rides, I brought it up after we snuck a couple of beers. And my friend just gave me this weird look. But one of my other cousins who was there with us, who was also known to be a jokester, was the first one to say something. Until then I had never heard him say anything as serious as this in all of our lives. I could hear the sincerity in his voice when he spoke. He told me that while he hadn't seen the creature himself, the loggers did. He asked if I ever wondered why they only cut small portions of the trees. They left their equipment down there one night, and when they came back the next day, a door to one of the trucks had been seriously damaged. It was severely smashed in and pulled open. They figured it must have gotten hit by a big log or a piece of equipment, and nobody wanted to get in trouble, so they didn't claim it. They decided they would deal with it after work, so they continued about their day. A few hours later, they noticed something in the creek bed I mentioned earlier. At first, they thought just maybe it was a hog as they were a nuisance in the area. Then it stood up on two feet. They said they could see, about five feet of it, but as I said before, the creek is about three feet deep. It chucked a huge log, and they hurriedly got out of there. They returned to get their equipment within the next week and never returned to this day. My cousin then went on to tell me some of the strange experiences he's had for himself down there, and I told him some more of the and I told him some more of mine. Those will have to be said later, though, as it's getting late, and I must work tomorrow. I do want to mention that after the encounter, I never stopped walking the trails. As I said, I didn't feel that this thing was threatening me, and I almost feel like it was a protector of the woods. The loggers were destroying the place, and it showed aggression. I barely disturbed the area and always thanked the creator of the arrowheads or pottery I found for giving me a glimpse into the past, and I was spared. On later walks, I still had pebbles plinking through the trees and heard branches snapping, but it always made me feel safer knowing I had something watching over me. In roughly 11 years, I've only told one other person this story. Thank you for finally giving me a platform to share this story with like-minded individuals. I hope you have a blessed day and always keep an open mind about things we know nothing about. Not everything is out to get you. I live in a city in northeastern India, but my parents and I always go to visit our grandma's house on the holidays and on some occasions in the countryside. I'm 18 years old. The small town, which is kind of a village my grandma's house is in, is on farmland surrounded by many woods. If you get what i'm saying so let's cut to the scary part the town is like any other ordinary small town in our state but the people have been seeing some weird stuff throughout the years there are countless stories so i will try to write the ones i remember the oldest i can remember was told by my dad when i was a kid he said that he and his friend and some of my uncles were drinking and talking in the cabin attached to the back of my grandmother's house in the backyard The backyard is attached to a small pond and a few square kilometers of woods and farmland, since my family from my mother's side own many parts of the property. So, as I said, they were enjoying the stuff when they saw a fireball going through the bamboo trees in the backyard. He said fireball, but it wasn't attached to anything like a stick or a lamp, and they didn't hear footsteps or see anyone. The odd detail is, they said the fireball was blue. I don't know, but I saw those associated with spirits and stuff somewhere. Next was an occasion I can't quite remember. The whole incident is very foggy, but my aunt was cooking in the kitchen, and she heard a whistle in the backyard through the window in the kitchen. After some time, my dad and one of my uncles returned to throw away the previous day's trash. He said he saw a guy using our abandoned toilet in the backyard. The bathroom's made by my grandpa, since many people in that area are very poor. So my dad and my uncle approached the guy and asked what he was doing, when he had just said that he was there to use their toilet since my uncle sensed some danger, like the guy could be a robber or something. Hence, he and my father returned to the house to pick up some tools, phones, torches, and a safety knife. But the guy was not there when they returned. They went in for just a minute to collect the supplies, and my aunt in the kitchen, looking out the window, said that he just vanished. I don't know if it was paranormal, an attempted robbery, or something else. Now there are other events like one of my uncles who partied late at night was coming back one night when we heard something following him. The road was of course dark, mildly foggy, and no one else was out there, such a cliché. So of course he got scared and began looking back with his phone flashlight and walking fast when the footsteps started creeping him out. He started saying God's prayer and played a song on his phone, he began walking faster, Still. After just a few steps, his phone died, and he could hear the footsteps chasing him. He sprinted through our backyard because of a shortcut. Our backyard and farmlands are all connected to the road. When he came home, I don't remember what exactly happened, but still I remember him saying this to my mother. But still I remember him saying to his mother, which is my grandma, that he was chased by something. He said it was a solo footstep, though, like it was something with only one foot hopping after him. The following day he told the whole story that I just wrote, and most of my family shrugged it off as a mild paranormal incident. As I said before, this town has bizarre things going on, so it's natural to become used to it. This happened to my friend Alex and me a couple of months ago around March of 2020. We both attended a school on California's Central Coast. One weekend in April sometime, Alex invited me to join him on a drive a few cities up north where he was picking up a dog he was interested in fostering. Once we picked up the dog, who is a lovely boy, we drove a bit further north to eat some- We drove a bit further north to eat before heading back down to go home. We ordered ahead, and once we arrived, we picked up our food. Dine-in regulations are already in place because of COVID at that point. Both new to the area, we Google a park nearby to head out to eat. We pulled up to an empty park. There was only one other person there. He parks on a curb in front of another car, which is important. We quickly walk a few feet to a bench and a table near the curb, tie the dog to a public barbecue grill next to us and begin to eat. We were almost immediately approached by a man intent on talking to us. He specifically asked us about the dog. How old he is, his nature, is he mean, does he bite? Alex is busy answering the man's questions while trying to calm the dog down and eventually shifts his attention only to the dog. The conversation ends with the man stands there for a minute or two just staring at us, but only I notice because Alex is still making sure the dog doesn't try to escape. We both, however, agreed that the conversation was quite weird. Anyway, the man walks away towards a shaded area next to the restrooms, under a large canopy type thing. Many parks in California have these, I don't really know how to explain it. I noticed that he sits with another man I had not seen previously, but I wasn't thinking much of it. At this point, the dog is still being troublesome, but I continue to eat. I feel like we're being watched, and I looked over, and the two men are just staring at us, not talking at all. I think it's weird and I start to feel incredibly uncomfortable. Alex is still struggling with the dog and when I look over again, I only see one of the men, the one who had not approached us. And when I look again, the one who did was coming for us, hiding behind a vending machine, poking his head out, looking at us ever so slightly, and I catch him. Without hesitating, I tell Alex to grab his stuff and get in his car. He doesn't even question me for a second. We gather our stuff and put it in his car. As we do so, the man still sitting and watching us approaches, and as soon as we get into the car, he begins to talk to us, asking us about the dog and its temperament again. He asked if he's protective and if he bites. Alex barely answers him and starts the car. The man then walks past our vehicle, gets into the car parked behind us where someone has been inside watching us the entire time from just a few feet away without either of us realizing... Over the next 10 to 15 minutes, we pull out of the parking lot, and the other car does the same. We immediately fear that they might be following us, so Alex does a random series of turns until we end up in a neighborhood, and sure enough, the car is still behind us. They are tailgating us at this point, and we're both very freaked out, so we do a few random turns until we enter a roundabout, in which Alex very poorly exits, and they lose us. Very stupidly, we map another park for us to finish eating and arrive at a garden with a good amount of people only a few streets away. We park, sit on a bench, and keep eating. Maybe five minutes later, Alex notices the same car entered the parking lot, and they park near where we were eating. No one exits the car, and we grab our stuff and leave, this time down south. The car starts to pull out too, but luckily we lost them, because we got on the street first. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true small-town horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or at r slash thedarkswamp. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Much love to HelloFresh for supporting the swamp. Be sure to go to hellofresh.com swamp 65 to get 65% off your next order. If you enjoyed these stories, be sure to slap that like button as it helps me out a ton. Be sure to subscribe to help The Swamp grow as I upload new videos almost every single day on all things natural and supernatural. I'd love to know in the comments down below what story was your favorite tonight, and be sure to comment the code word, "hopping frog" to let me know you made it to the end and to confuse anybody else who didn't make it. Thank you guys so much, and I'll see you soon with some more creepy content.